I want you to... I want you to really spend some time listening right now, or or if you can't really focus, come back later and listen to the podcast, because I want you to really focus. I, I remember when I was a kid, and I remember what summer was like, and it was different. We don't feel it anymore as adults, but it was like we were free. We were We were able to roam and play and... Just be back before it gets dark. That, those were the words that I heard before I heard the slap of the screen door close. I was usually halfway across the lawn, as my mother would say that. We worked a lot in our family. My dad was a baker. We owned our own shop. We worked hard. He worked hard. But we all did. My mom and my two sisters were in the front, and I was in the back with my dad. I scrubbed the pots and pans, and I hated it. But this was our life. I was went to work in our bakery when I was eight, every day. But in the summer, I didn't have to go in the morning. I could come later in the afternoon. And for a few weeks, every summer, we would go down to my grandparents' farm. They raised raspberries. This was summer. And somehow I felt older. My sister was older, Coletta, and she used to pea vine. And I remember she could drive those big, huge pea viners, and she'd make money over the, the summer. So I got to feel older by going out and earning money, picking berries, sleeping with the windows open, getting up before the crack of dawn, feed the chickens, pick the berries, punch the berry card, go in so tired that all you wanted to do was climb up those attic stairs and fall asleep underneath grandma's quilts. There were a couple of summers where it was different. One year, I think I was probably about five, probably was around 1969, we went to Disneyland and we took an airplane. And the only reason why I remember it is because I got a new suit and a new hat, just like my dad's, and my sisters were in brand new dresses that I think my mom had handmade. And I also remember that they got gloves. They had white gloves. Because back then, it was very different to fly on an airplane. The other summer that was different is when we packed up the station wagon and we headed out to what seemed to me an epic journey. Felt like we were going across the country. I think we might have been going across the county. And us kids, when we weren't asking if we were there yet, we were asking for a different station on the radio or telling our dad she started it or... Just hold it until Dad could stop. It was a summer of the license plate game. Punch buggy. Sometimes we were allowed to sit in the way back of the station wagon and we could face backward. We could look at the cars behind us. Nothing really good came of that as we got older, but... What I'd give to take that family trip again. It was a world without TVs. In our cars. It was a world without iPhones and video games or YouTube. And yeah, I remember thinking I was bored much of the time. But all I remember now are the laughs and the games we played. And actually looking out the window even if it was just to stop looking at my sisters. 
I remember seeing the different faces and places and thinking, wow, this country is big, and I know how big it is. But I didn't. Most don't. It's taken me a lifetime, but I've driven the plains. I've driven the badlands, Kentucky, bluegrass, horse country. I've driven in the rainforests of Washington State, the high desert of Utah, among the sequoias in California, the deserts of California. I've driven the bridges that never seem to end, that go over the swamps in the south and the Everglades in Florida. I've been on the roads of New England to see the fall colors. I've crossed the Rockies in the snow, and I've crossed them in the summer. I've driven the back roads of coal mining country as well as the back roads to the old silver mines of Nevada. I've driven across the vast Indian nation, a nation with inside our nation. I've been to Mount Rushmore, crazy horse. I've been to Waldrug, the world's largest drugstore in South Dakota. I visited the home of Elvis and Mark Twain and George Washington. I think I'd do that my whole life. When I retire, that's really what I want to do. I just want to go to the mountains and paint and then just my wife and I and the kids get into a car, a station wagon, an RV, an old VW bus, anything, and just set out and drive the country. This last summer, it's been tough for my family. We have dealt with so many issues in our family, and I am so blessed that I have, I know this sounds counterintuitive, but trust me, it's not. I am so glad that I've had two suicides in my family because I can understand depression when it hits and I've had three of my kids just this summer go through really tough times and is having a a growing pain with my son Rafe and we decided to make a boys trip out of Texas, which goes on forever. We went through Santa Fe and across the Rocky Mountains. It's, it's the best memory I think I have, a family memory. And I, you miss those moments and you cannot get them back. We drove the highway just... I think it's just in the center or north of Denver. I think it's one of the true wonders of the modern world. Is that I-35? What is the one that goes across the Rocky Mountains from Denver? It's the highway that crosses over those unbelievable mountains and sometimes under those mountains or through those mountains. What's amazing is that project was started when Eisenhower was president. And it wasn't finished until Clinton was about to leave the Oval Office. Insurmountable odds 
What even takes that long to build anymore? And it's weird. I was on this new highway, and it still felt like an America of the past, a, a distant era. We've been so beaten down that we forget Elon Musk sent a private rocket into space with an electric car in the shuttle bay or in the in the bay that he built and we all watched it on our cell phones and the booster rocket returned and landed on the water we still do great things the difference is, is it, it's the every man that can do it now. It's not NASA or a huge government agency. But it's a group of private citizens that are just living their personal American dream. They are pursuing their happiness. Like him or hate him, that's what Elon Musk is doing. He believes it. He sees it. And he's taking the risk and he's doing it. These are the things we have to remember. These are the things that we have lost. These are just the beginnings. There are no guarantees in life, but there still is a place where an immigrant who was raised in the Eastern Bloc, behind the Iron Curtain, under communism can later move here and become the first lady of the United States. We don't even talk about that. Think of that. I think that's promise. There's two reasons we don't talk about it. One, political. Two, the promise is so clear to most of us that we don't consider that as a big deal anymore. That's how good it is here compared to other places. And you know what? We all have different dreams and different backgrounds, but most of us still have one thing in common. We may not like politics or even politicians, but when it comes down to it, most of us, and I don't know what that number is, but most of us still really love our country. We want our kids to feel the same things about America that we felt. Even in the ugly or tough times. We knew somehow we would make it. Because people suck all the time. But the promise of this country. If we just know who we are, who we were. And why we came here. We know we survive. If we're lucky enough to take a summer trip on a plane or a trailer or even a beat up used station wagon. Didn't matter who we were. We saw people just like us when we arrived. Happy, decent and generally good. So why am I talking to you about this today?
I'll tell you in one minute. I always know we're about to do something important when everyone says it's impossible, but I have never come across anything we've done that has been this impossible. It is roadblock after roadblock after roadblock after roadblock. And yesterday, uh, I was on a phone call to make the final go decision, and everything flipped upside down. I'm not going to ask you for anything except prayer. So I want you to know that. But I, I want you to know how deeply I feel this is important. This has been on my heart for a very long time. There are two things that we have to do. We have to... We have to take that journey back into the country that we all grew up knowing and believing in. We have to relive the best memories that we had and the best hopes and aspirations that Americans have always had. We need to renew ourself and our family and our faith in other people. I think we need to revive the feelings that I never thought I would lose, and now I'm not sure I'll ever get back again. My family used to do 4th of July at a different place every year. It was a tradition for us. It was Christmas and 4th of July. I don't really do anything special for 4th of July anymore. It was beaten out of me in the last eight years. I go and I just hear Born on the 4th of July, which is a meaningless song, and living in the USA and it's fireworks and nobody is talking about the country. There's no, there's no meaning to it at all. And I don't want to lose that tradition because all of our traditions are being lost, all of them. They're all being taken apart. And whether that's by design, in some cases it is, in others, it's just because we don't do it anymore. It's become about something else. Thanksgiving. Nobody talks about the pilgrims. Nobody knows what that is. How many of us, how many of us watch the Macy's Day Parade, the dog show, eat, and then football? And then maybe the next day we all go shopping or we go see a big movie. Where is the covenant part of this? Where is the, the thanksgiving? The one thing that just has not been torn away from that, and I just think it's divine providence, is family. Family is the root of all stable societies. And Thanksgiving is the greatest because there's no gift giving. There's usually no place you have to be other than with your family. And, you know, some people may not like that. But eventually most of us do. So the one thing we have to do is start putting fresh memories, hopes, dreams, aspirations, 
feelings of the gloriousness of this nation. But that's window dressing. I firmly believe that we are a covenant nation and we have violated that covenant. A covenant is a pact with someone. It's a contract. It's a, I'll do this, and if I do this, you will give me this. It's no different. You have to do something, and then the promise is God will bless you. Well, there's a problem with this. We've made this contract three times before. Three times. We made it with the pilgrims. We made it in 1789. And we made it again in 1863. And each time we were blessed and we were saved. We must restore the covenant. And I want to talk to you about that and ask for your prayers next. You're listening to Glenn Beck. I, uh, I'm talking to you um, today about the idea of restoring tradition, restoring the, cover- uh, the covenant. Everything, all traditions really in America come from the covenant, come from divine providence. We have always firmly relied on divine providence. But we also knew that to get that divine providence, there was a... There was a part we had to pay. I have thought for a very long time. What is the answer? The answer is clear, but it's personal. When we turn back and ask for forgiveness and we... We promise to do better. If he will just protect us mainly from ourselves. And I have felt for a long time that we are running out of opportunity because if you believe in God, you know this society is repeatedly slapping him in the face. And I don't mean just from liberals. I mean liberals, conservatives, independents, all of us. All of us slap him in the face. So I'm going to be straight up with you. I won't give you the details of what's happening but I believe in this so much. Uh, I have to come to you because I don't need to tell you the details because it's going to require a miracle to make it happen. I'm just debating here what, what voice in my head is mine and what is his. I don't know. I know I am supposed to do another restoring event, and that event is restoring the covenant. 
and uh, and it's supposed to happen in Gettysburg, and it's supposed to happen on July fourth. And I have absolutely everything. I have the farms and the we have everything, everything that we need. Um, but because it's such a small place, everything has to be brought in. And some constraints have come on that, uh, I only have like 14, 12 or 14 days to be able to either do this or not do this. And, uh, Yesterday, uh, we had a, a final meeting and we all went into it going, okay, we're going to do this. And we all left and everyone was, there's no way to do it. But I don't believe that. Because it's something. Should I say or not? No, I <laughs> No, I don't. I think you need to go into too much detail yeah. at this point. It's something it's something in the grand scheme of things that is meaningless. Meaningless. But it is uh it's just going to take a miracle. And I've seen them before on these events. But this is going to require the biggest one. And um and I believe Billy Graham was right when he told me, in the end, things are going to happen that are so miraculous that everyone involved will know it wasn't man. And this is one of those things. So I would uh, ask, we, we're going to announce this today, uh, and I can't announce that today and can't give you any more details um, on what we had planned on the week leading up and everything else uh, because there's no way to do it today. But I am not going to say no to this until the day I go on vacation because once we hit the 20th, it's over. Like the door closes. So I would just ask that you would pray because I know there's enough people in this audience that understand a covenant and understand we are a covenant nation. Our pilgrims made it. George Washington made it. Abraham Lincoln made it. Go and read Lincoln's 19, 1863 proclamation for Thanksgiving. Read that. It re if you take out the part where it says civil war, all of it, all of it reads as if it could have been written today. It is the solution. It is that proclamation is what turned the civil war around. He had already done the Emancipation Proclamation. It's what turned the war around. We lost everything until this. And then we began to win. No politician, no party, no man can save us from the insanity that we have going on in our country right now. There's no way. 
I hate to break it to you. There is no way out. Except one. And that is a firm reliance on the protection of divine providence. But that only can be expected when we are people of merit and people of decency. God is not on our side, nor will he ever be on our side. We choose to be on his side. And when we do that, it softens our hearts and we begin to listen to one another. And we will find unity in those basic principles that we have lost. Those basic principles that are being stolen, actively stolen from us every day through political correctness and all the rest. But because we also don't honor tradition anymore. Those traditions are there to remind you who you are, where you came from. And all of our traditions are being taken or we are so lazy or hapless that we don't see what we're missing, what we're losing. I would ask if you're in prayer circles or anything else that you would tell everybody that you know, just pray for restoring the covenant. Pray for a miracle. I don't want to tell you what it has to be because I... I think God wants me to understand it has nothing to do with you. And he wants, I believe, to show his power. So pray. All right, welcome to the program. We're, we're glad you're here. Uh, do we have the... Uh, do we do we have the testimony yesterday that uh, makes my head explode uh, of uh, the questioning of You're gonna have to really narrow it down from there yeah the Matt Gates thing yeah yeah we have the Matt do Gates we have audio. the audio mm-hmm. let, let, let's let's play this um, this is um, Congressman Gates talking to a extraordinarily liberal uh, legal scholar who. Uh, has donated money to Hillary Clinton and Barack Obama and Joe Biden and is very, very liberal. Um, And here's the questioning after she uh, made a stupid joke about uh, Baron Trump. Listen. In 2020, did you write those words? Until this call in July 25th, I was an impeachment skeptic. The Very call well. changed I, my mind, sir, and for thank good you. Reason. I appreciate your testimony, Professor Carlin. You gave two thousand bucks, or you gave a thousand bucks to Elizabeth Warren, right? Uh, I believe so. You gave twelve hundred uh, bucks to Barack Obama. I have no reason to question that. And you gave two thousand bucks to Hillary Clinton. That's correct. Uh, Why so much more for Hillary than the other two? 
Because I've been giving a lot of money to charity recently because of all of the poor people in the United States. Well, those aren't the only, those aren't the only <laughs> folks you've been given to. Now, you, you, have you ever been on a podcast called Versus Trump? I think I was on a live panel that the people who ran the podcast called Versus Trump. On uh, that, do you remember saying the following? Liberals tend to cluster more. Conservatives, especially very conservative people, tend to spread out more. Perhaps because they don't even want to be around themselves. Did you oh say that? Gosh. Yes, I did. Do, do you understand how that reflects contempt on people who are conservative? No, what I was talking about there mm -hmm. was the natural tendency, if mm -hmm. you put the quote in context, the natural tendency of a compactness requirement to favor a party... Uh whose voters are more spread out. Well, and I do not have Hold on, I'm, again, I'm very I'm... <laughs> She this, and this went on and on and on and on and on. Uh and uh, tonight at five o'clock, I'm I'm going to tell you who these who these people were that they called to testify yesterday. They are they are members of the resistance movement. They are people that were calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump. Remember, it started with uh, with him asking one of the the uh, the experts. Uh, so did you say that what he was talking about is, were you calling for the impeachment of Donald Trump? Even before he was elected. When he's sworn in, are you talking about the uh, the resistance and the impeachment of Donald Trump. Yes, but I wasn't sold on this until the phone call. Oh, okay. Wow. And so on the day you heard about the phone call, that was enough. Not even the hearings, nothing. Until the July 25th phone call, that's what made you say, yeah, he's got to be impeached. That's incredible and incredibly biased and inherently unfair. And non-credible. It's incredible and not credible, right? Yes. <laughs> you know, at the same time. It's yeah. just not believable. Nobody believes it. Nobody believes it. They Nobody believes it. This is a predetermined uh, situation. Right. And Nancy Pelosi came out today and she said they are going to, uh, uh, they are going to pursue, pursue impeachment and they want them to file the articles of impeachment to the House because of these patriotic lifetime servants. Well, um, I don't think that all of them were patriotic. I think some of them were, and even some of them that I disagree with. But I don't think all of them were patriotic. And lifetime servant, well, I don't know about servant. But uh, that's always a comical one. They're all making really six is. figures. Yeah, they're all over there. They're living with all sorts of ridiculous perks. I mean, not you know. Obviously, there's lower levels. There's you know different stories. But these are the people who've risen to the top of their field, and they're making plenty of money and, and living decent lives. Lifetime is the key. These people are working yeah. year after year. They see presidents come and go, and they become so arrogant they don't yeah. answer to anyone because you can't fire them. Right? It's apparently unpatriotic to fire them. So that's that's some job security right there. To Glenn Beck.